A quick note before we start, this episode includes strong language. The fall of Roe v. Wade has galvanized the country. Some people are celebrating. For the older generation of pro-lifers to see this today, I'm so grateful for them. Others are protesting. My body, my choice! And many are opening their wallets. In the 24 hours after the decision, they saw a 40-fold increase in donations. More than 100 abortion funds dot the country. These nonprofits helped at least 45,000 people pay for abortions in 2020. They've raised millions of dollars since Roe was overturned, and now more and more people seeking abortions are turning to these funds, especially in states where the procedure is outlawed. You know, they, they call you in a state of panic, like, what am I going to do? Where am I going to get this money? And when you're able to offer practical solutions, it helps. Today, how abortion funds work, who they help, and what role they can play in a post-Roe world. From the studio at the Leonard Davis Institute at the University of Pennsylvania, I'm Dan Gorenstein. This is Tradeoffs. To help us understand how abortion funds work, let's turn back the clock for a look at Brittany Mostiller's story. In the summer of 2007, one question dominated her life. What am I willing to do to not be pregnant? Brittany was 23. Sharing a two-bedroom apartment on the south side of Chicago with her three kids, her sister, and her niece. Four kids under six. That was the only affordable option, well, barely affordable option, was to, you know, live together and try to split whichever bills we could pay at that moment. Brittany had just given birth to her third child in February. She'd wanted an abortion, but couldn't afford it. Carrying that pregnancy to term had pushed her into a depression. And when she learned she was pregnant again in July, Brittany was angry with herself and she was scared. Everything was just a mess. I was just like, something's fucking wrong with me because here I am pregnant again. Like Everything just felt like it was caving in. But there I was still like clawing and fighting. Like, I'm going to figure some shit out. Like, if there's one thing I can do is figure some shit out. The first step, get an abortion this time. But money was still a problem. Abortions can cost anywhere from a few hundred to a few thousand dollars, depending on where you live and how far along the pregnancy is. 34 state Medicaid programs in Washington, D.C. do not cover abortions. So especially for low-income people, the procedure is often all out of pocket. Brittany worked part-time at a grocery store, bringing in less than a grand a month. She was struggling to pay rent and buy food. A $400 abortion almost seemed like a joke. I felt stuck. I wanted something more. Um, I wanted to offer my children something more. And so what grew out of that was like this sense of like really strong self-determination to, to give them more and to be more for them. Brittany was determined enough to end her pregnancy that she considered some dark options. Maybe my five-year-old can, like, pounce on me right now. Maybe I can throw myself down the stairs. I was only on the first floor, but I thought if I do it enough, I would miscarry or something. I was going to do this by any means necessary. A less scary plan 
the county hospital offered early abortions for 50 bucks. A stretch for Brittany, but doable. So on a Tuesday, Brittany dragged herself to the train at 5 a.m. to make her 6.15 appointment. At the hospital, they gave her an ultrasound to see how far along she was. 12 and a half weeks. That was a problem. The hospital only offered $50 abortions for pregnancies up to 12 weeks. Brittany got back on the train, sobbing. The hospital had given her a list of pricey abortion clinics. They also included the number for the Chicago Abortion Fund. The organization had been around since 1985, helping people like Brittany pay for abortions. Brittany had never heard of them and was suspicious. I'm like, ain't no way in hell somebody out here paying for people's abortions, right? I don't know if I need to like pay it back, do anything. I don't know. Like I didn't know what to expect. But Brittany was also desperate. So she dialed the number. Thank you for calling the Chicago Abortion Fund. The hotline wasn't open at that moment, but they did have a recorded message letting you know like everything you need to do prior to, you know, calling them back for funding. Brittany didn't know it at the time, but this was normal. Volunteers staff most abortion funds and calling hours can be limited. The message Brittany heard said that the hotline would open at three and callers had to have an abortion appointment scheduled, so she booked a $900 appointment. The recording also said funding sometimes ran out within an hour, so at 2.58, Brittany started dialing. At three o'clock, I got through. I remember being like super excited that they answered and I remember like crying through the whole intake process. The woman told Brittany the fund could pay for about a third of her procedure. She made it clear that this was a contribution, not some kind of loan. She walked Brittany through how it would work. They let me know that they would send a a voucher over to the clinic and that would then be deducted from whatever portion I needed to bring in. Brittany hung up knowing she needed extra shifts at work, could maybe borrow money from her great-grandma, and probably leave a few bills unpaid to cover the rest of the 900. A few weeks later, Brittany had her abortion. After the procedure, I felt relieved. (sighs) I can breathe. And um, start to figure out what the next chapter of my life could look like, or even just be able to imagine. The financial help from the Chicago Abortion Fund was critical, but Brittany says those few minutes on the phone gave her a lot more than money. That was like the first time I had experienced something that compassionate and that understanding. I felt really held on that call and seen in a way that I had never, ever felt. Every abortion fund we spoke with said this has always been part of the job, helping people seeking abortions for whatever reason feel safe. Brittany found a community through this process. She started volunteering with the Chicago Abortion Fund, meeting other black women who had gone through the same thing she had. Eight years after her abortion, Brittany was running the fund, and she now works for the National Network of Abortion Funds. Brittany says, more than a career in this world, she's found a calling. And she knows how important funds are going to be in a post-Roe world. We have been, like, preparing for this. It's just real now. 
It's so much more than funding people's procedures. For callers, for folks to feel seen and held, that shit means something. It, it gave me hope. Like, shit was rough, and they were like this light. When we come back, how abortion funds are responding to their new reality. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Welcome back. With the fall of Roe, abortion funds are taking on a much larger role than in the past. They're going to be really vital for people to access um, legal abortion out of state. Gretchen Ely is one of the few researchers in the United States who studies abortion funds. She's a social work professor at the University of Tennessee and has published six papers on the topic since 2016. Her research started with a phone call from a colleague who worked at a national abortion fund. She reached out to me and said, I have all this data from working in this role for many, many years. Would you like to partner and take a look at some of the characteristics of these cases? Gretchen had studied abortion access for more than a decade. This was her first exposure to abortion funds. She learned a few things right away. Each fund was independent. Some served specific states or regions. Others served particular populations like indigenous women. Many funds were tiny, just one or two volunteers answering a cell phone. Others were run by clinics or part of a larger organization like Planned Parenthood. One of Gretchen's first research questions, who did these funds help? On average, they mostly serve younger parents in their 20s who already have children. That's in line with the people who tend to seek out abortions nationwide. Gretchen also found that about half of abortion fund clients were black, compared to around one-third of overall abortion seekers, and that people turning to abortion funds often lacked full-time work, stable housing, and safe relationships. In other words... They serve people who have the greatest needs. Another lesson for Gretchen, these funds have limits. Most only offer about $215 on average, leaving patients with hundreds or even more to find on their own. Funds operate like this in hopes of stretching their limited dollars to help as many people as possible, but they can only stretch so far. Survey data from the National Network of Abortion Funds show that about half of abortion fund callers don't receive any financial support. They help so many people, but they can't help everyone. Now, with abortion bans and restrictions spreading week by week, abortion funds are playing a bigger role than they ever have. And money 
is pouring in. In the first three weeks after the court struck down Roe, the National Network of Abortion Funds raised nearly $11 million for local funds, more than all funds in the network gave out in 2020. Some of that money has gone to Kim Florin in South Dakota, one of seven states where abortion is now illegal. We're seeing increased demand for procedure costs. Like when people call, they don't just need like two or three hundred dollars. They need five or six hundred dollars. Kim co-founded and runs the Justice Through Empowerment Network. Before Rofel, she said her fund sent about 70 percent of its clients out of state. Now that's a hundred percent and travel costs, known as practical support, are mounting. By the time you count in somebody who has to drive 600 miles and then stay two or three nights in a hotel and then they have to eat that whole time while they're there and food isn't cheap and gas isn't cheap, a lot of times the, the practical support costs just as much as the actual funding for the abortion. Kim guesses she's given out at least $5,000 for these expenses just since the Supreme Court decision leaked in May. She's also raised more in the last few weeks than she gave out last year, about $40,000, enough to keep pace with the increased demand so far. Kim says the biggest change she's seen is just how freaked out people are when they call. She says many of them are going online and looking for anyone who might be able to help even if they're literally a thousand miles away. We've gotten calls from people in Missouri and Kansas, North Dakota, Minnesota. In the last week, I've probably had like six Texas numbers pop up. The heightened fear and uncertainty around abortion is palpable, and abortion funds are trying to step into that breach the best they can. Aaron Smith knows all about it. I've had people come up to me and say, I'm afraid to call you all because I don't want my line getting tapped. I don't want to go to jail. I don't want to be arrested. Aaron runs the Kentucky Health Justice Network in Louisville. Kentucky's abortion ban was set aside by a judge, leaving abortion legal in the state for the time being. While their fund serves all Kentuckians, the organization focuses especially on transgender and non-binary people. I had a friend of mine come up to me And they were like, hey, I have a friend who's a trans man who is seeking an abortion. They're afraid to call because they don't want to be ostracized. Those are stories that people don't hear and don't see. Aaron says their work with trans and non-binary patients has required the organization to do more than give money. They've gotten good at providing information, a real service in this moment of fear and confusion. Making sure that not only are we calling, you know, our callers and reassuring our callers, that we're reassuring the community, that we're letting the community know what we can and can't do or what they can and can't do. We are here to be a light for people who feel like they have no way out of their situation. Virtually overnight, abortion funds role has grown in the fight to protect reproductive rights. But there are also serious legal questions. Texas funds have temporarily stopped paying for abortions, unsure if they can legally operate under the state's restrictive abortion laws. At least one other fund in Alabama has done the same. The National Network of Abortion Funds is offering grants helping funds hire lawyers. Kim Florin in South Dakota says she is ready for the fight. I know that our state government is going to come after us in the next special session. 
because we saw what happened in Texas and they've made some pretty clear threats that they want to target people who help people go out of state for abortions. Kim and other fund operators are adapting to their new bigger roles when they can, writing bigger checks, helping more people, keeping folks informed. But just like before, there's only so much they can do. I'm Dan Gornstein. This is Tradeoffs. Federal health officials gave several states the power to charge low-income adults monthly fees when they expanded their Medicaid program under the Affordable Care Act. New research shows that can be a problem. There's strong overall evidence, the preponderance of evidence from a group of studies, including ours, suggests that premiums have a negative effect. We travel through time and across state lines to see how premiums have affected people on Medicaid. Next time on Tradeoffs. Thanks for listening to Tradeoffs. If you've just discovered us, remember to subscribe to the feed so you never miss an episode. Subscribing is free and easy on whichever podcasting app you use, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, NPR One, or anywhere you listen to podcasts. The Tradeoffs team is producer Ryan Levy, editor Kate Cahan, executive director Jessica Silverman, audience engagement lead Shannon Crane, senior health policy editor Sarah Thomas, sound designer Andrew Perella, executive editor Dan Gorenstein, and senior producer... Leslie Walker. The Tradeoffs theme song was composed by Ty Sitterman with additional music this episode from Blue Dot Sessions at Epidemic Sound. Tradeoffs coverage of healthcare costs is supported in part by Arnold Ventures and West Health. Additional thanks to Susan Brazelton and the National Network of Abortion Funds. Thanks also to all our listeners who helped to support our work, including Graham Griffith, Ariel Levenbecker, Amal Trevetti, and Amy Lotvin. Our media partner is SideFX Public Media, based at WFYI. Tradeoffs is supported by the Robert Wood Johnson Foundation, Arnold Ventures, West Health, the Scan Foundation, the Better Care Playbook, the Leonard Davis Institute of Health Economics at the University of Pennsylvania, the Sozose Foundation, and the National Institute for Healthcare Management Foundation. The views expressed in this episode are those of the individuals and not those of Tradeoffs staff, advisors, or funders. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.